Hi everyone and welcome to this new episode of Zoology Ramblings with Emma and Roby. This is episode 8. This week we are going to talk about pangolin trafficking, which is quite hard hitting. I was about to go woo pangolins and then I was like no, this is really sad. <laughs> yeah, I think the the pangolin crisis is one of the things that really is quite hard hitting for me. Like just seeing how badly they've been affected really really upsets me um mm. but yeah hopefully we can give a little bit of of good news towards the end about what's being done to try and help these incredible um incredible animals um so Roby do you want to just start a little bit like a bit yeah. about them and then yeah so pangolins have been in the news quite a bit recently both in regard to uh, their kind of potential involvement with with COVID, um, which we will come to later on. Uh, but they're also the world's most trafficked mammal. And we hear quite a lot about them from these excellent conservation organisations. Um, so what are pangolins? They look a little bit like scaly pinecone anteater type things. Um, so yeah, they, they're, they're members of an order called Foliodota. Uh, and they are the only family in their order, in the family Manidae. Uh, and they are actually the sister group to carnivorans, like carnivorans being dogs, cats, bears, seals and stuff. Pangolins are actually nestled just outside, but alongside them. Um, So they're really cool little animals. And we've got fossils of them from the Eocene epoch going back about 56 million years, basically unchanged. So in the absence of humans, they're a very successful group. Um, uh, and, and, And yes, they're being trafficked at completely unsustainable and unprecedented rates uh, largely for the south asian and china meat and traditional medicine market uh, they're very placid shy and entirely harmless animals with no medicinal benefits at all but unfortunately the scale of this trafficking is occurring at such a rate that we might lose them before we ever really understood them or appreciated them um, or understood anything about their ecology really um, so, yeah, that is the pangolin, an overview, a little scaly kind of pine cone type thing. Um, yeah, tell us tell us more. <laughs> yeah, so I'll tell you a bit more just if people haven't seen a pangolin before because they are becoming increasingly rare in the wild. Um, but like Roby said, they have received a lot of attention. And just something to put into your head while you're listening to this podcast for scale. So... One pangolin is taken from the wild every five minutes. So it means that if we, if our podcast, which is usually about 30 minutes long, in the space of that podcast, six will have been taken from the wild. Hmm. Um, so just to keep that in mind, just the scale of it, while while we're talking, this is something that's very real and this is happening now. Um, but just to a little bit of an overview of a pangolin, because I know I say this about a lot of animals, but they are... <laughs> probably one of my favorite animals on this planet and just for the record to just to show you all how much emma really loves pangolins she once dressed up as a pangolin for halloween and it was amazing i didn't see it but it was incredible i've ever made i remember sewing little cardboard scales on and then like being able to curl up like a pangolin oh my goodness (laughs) not not that i'm a zoology nerd or anything no Um. not at all whatever gave you that impression but that, I guess, yeah, that just shows for listeners how important they are to me and how important they have been to me since I was very little. And so pangolins are the only, the world's only truly scaly mammal. 
Um, so you can see these incredible scales that they have all along their body. And they can actually withstand the bite of a lion, these scales. So they're oh, wow. really, really strong. Um, and but, keratin, aren't they? The same thing as hair and nails? Hair, like nails, and rhino, rhino horn. horns. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> same stuff all over again. Um, <laughs> so it's the scales that are actually their downfall because that is mainly what they're being trafficked for. Um, so on, on top of these fantastic scales, they've got these really, really long, strong claws, which is... They've said they're strong enough to dig through concrete. I don't oh know how God. anyone has tested that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what they use them for is mainly they dig these big burrows that they live in. And they also excavate kind of ant and termite mounds. So that's what they use the claws for. Um, and so pangolins don't have teeth. Um, they have this remarkably long tongue, which is almost as long as their bodies and they use this wow. for yeah it's massive well, you, it's <laughs> it's a really long tongue, you yeah. can see it really really extended and they use this for taking up ants and termites um and impressively they can be completely covered in ants and they it doesn't affect them at all because the scales are ant ant bite proof so they're just like <laughs> ah whatever like i'm just gonna keep eating ants it doesn't hurt me um and so when they're feeding, they'll actually, they'll shut their nostrils and their ears um, to stop the ants kind of <laughs> going up their nose and things like that. And they spend up to five hours a day foraging. So they're just, yeah, plod along looking for ants. And if you haven't seen a pangolin walk, <laughs> I, I highly recommend you look up a video because, oh my goodness. So they walk on their hind, so their back two legs. And they hold their front two feet like this in front of them. It almost looks like they're about to really oh, politely ask you for something. <laughs> and they just kind of walk like this and they <laughs> hold up their two feet. And it's so, I find it incredibly endearing watching they them all, walk. They always look like they're about to deliver some bad news, I think. They're like, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, but uh, the car it crashed or something like that. <laughs> that is so true, <laughs> honestly. And pangolins are quite impressive in terms of their, in terms of... Um, their diversity there's only eight species but these eight species have three three genesis so in the manaday family they're not doing too badly um the three genesis are manus fatagenus and the best one smutsia <laughs> i love that <laughs> uh you know do with what you will uh manus comprises the four species found in asia uh which are the Tem uh, indian chinese philippine and sunder pangolins Whereas Smutsia and Fataginus, Fataginus, yeah, Fataginus, uh, are the four found in Africa. So the Temix ground pangolin, the white-bellied tree pangolin, the black-bellied tree pangolin, not to be confused, and the giant ground pangolin. I think they're they're quite different actually. When you look at the species, like yes, they all have the scale coverage and the claws mm. and things like that. But um, quite different between the like the black-bellied tree pangolin is really quite small. Mm. Whereas the, the giant ground pangolin, as the name would suggest, is mm. <laughs> chunky. Giant. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting that the illegal wildlife trade hasn't affected these animals equally. So the four Asian species are very nearly wiped out now because they were the brunt of the initial pangolin trade. And now that they're, you know, in such low numbers, the, the focus is shifting to the four African species, which are now coming under a massive threat. And you know we can't afford to lose them in this regard especially in the places where they live such as the some some parts of south sorry some parts of africa some parts of southeast asia where 
it's a very agricultural and rural community. There's a lot of reliance on arable land and, and, and arable products. Pangolins are big regulators of ant and termite numbers. And so we don't know what the effect on communities would be if these regulators were removed from the ecosystem. So it's critical that we stop and, and manage the illegal wildlife trade. And it's critical that we boost population numbers in the wild. But why don't you tell us a bit more about the threats themselves that they're facing? Yeah, I mean, the threats they're facing are extensive, um, which is, is quite hard hitting. Um, so apologies, it's, it's a bit <laughs> depressing what's happening with them. Um, but what has happened in recent years, particularly, is there's been a massive spike in the illegal pangolin trade. And we touched on this a little bit, but the main trade is coming from China for use in Chinese medicine. So what I found quite shocking is that so practitioners, so even trained medical professionals um, will prescribe pangolin scales kind of as a cure for cancer and things like that. So what? it's it's exactly. And it's still legal in my mind, how I understood it, is that if the scales are coming from stockpiles, so ones that are not new to mm. the country, mm. they are allowed to prescribe those in hospitals. Oh, my God. Well, so, that's only that's only exacerbating the problem. <laughs> See, that's the thing. If people are being prescribed this by the doctor, that's obviously going to um, drive the illegal trade elsewhere. Um, yeah. And not only this, they also used for their meat as well. So mainly mm. that's things like Vietnam. I know that pangolin is a delicacy mm. um, in Africa now. They're turning to the African pangolins, like Roby mentioned, um, for the bushmeat trade. Um, and what is why this trade is happening, just to give it a bit of context, is pangolins can sell for around $500 a kilo. Wow. This makes it more valuable than ivory. Ooh. That's, so, okay, that's that's impressive and quite harrowing. And this is the thing where it's very hard to just place the blame and say there are good guys and bad guys in conservation. It's not that simple. Hmm. Because if you're a local, um, say, local farmer in a rural village where there are areas that pangolins are found... If you know that you can catch a pangolin, which they're so easy to catch, like their, their defense mechanism is to roll up into a ball and just stay there like that. So you can literally scoop them up, put them in a sack, and they don't move for the entire journey. Sure. So what these local farmers are doing is they're catching them and selling them, and that's to support their family. It's to try and get their kids through school. It's to be able to support their community. And so in my mind, I'm not blaming them, even though they're the ones taking them from the wild. They need an alternative and the demand needs to stop from Asia. Um, but I don't I don't blame the local communities when they don't have another option. Yeah. And I think it would be a bit it would be unfair, actually, I think, to just to immediately blame the people at fault when they have no other choice i think if there was a choice between you know selling a pangolin and my f and you know providing for my family and potentially providing for my children any of us would make exactly the same choice i think the people really at fault is the highly organized crime syndicates which drive both supply and demand between africa and asia yeah. and also i think the chinese government is certainly to blame for a not doing enough to stamp out it and two, being entirely complicit in some of the, some of the articles I've read about the corruption which goes on between Chinese officials and the illegal wildlife trade and the vested interest with the amount of money that goes into the, the traditional medicine, um, you know, 
industry, as it were. And part of the reason pangolins are really threatened is a bit like other animals we've mentioned in this podcast, a bit like orcas. They have a really slow population recovery rate. They've got a slow birth rate. Um, young do very poorly if their mothers die as a result of as a result of this industry, um, and they still survive in the wild. There's very hard to rehabilitate them in terms of medicine if they're injured. And it's very hard to rewild them. So they're not. They're really a difficult species to conserve when they're already at this critical critical level. Um, but it isn't all bad news. I understand there is quite a lot of conservation efforts you know being valiantly undertaken to to save these yes luckily i think recently because there has been a lot of media attention people have started to wake up i think a lot of it was which is part of the reason we do these podcasts as well is maybe people hadn't heard of a pangolin before Mm. and that was the case in in a lot of asia so people hadn't even seen one they hadn't heard of one and there was this massive disconnect from what pangolin scales meant and how that was associated with an animal so i think raising awareness has been a a key thing um there are three fantastic documentaries which i watched recently um quite hard hitting but really really recommend them um so they're called the eye of the pangolin which is directed by bruce young um the pangolin man which is produced by ellie stones and pangolins the world's most wanted animals which is directed by Victoria Bromley and narrated by David Attenborough. I thought you were going to say um, Victoria Beckham for a minute there. I was like, oh, good to know she's getting in on the pangolin issues. I mean, it would be great if she did. We need <laughs> more kind of high-end pressure. Mm. Um, and there's also a really good book called Poached, which I'm going to try and try and get. It's by someone called Rachel Newer. And basically, this was her first-hand experience of going to China, going to these black kind of illegal markets... Um, first-hand experience of the Chinese medicine trade and her aim through this book was to raise awareness and tell people about the issue um, so those are some, sort of some fantastic sort of media side of things that are, that are really good um, and then you have some inspirational people as well who I really think need mentioning because they are kind of paving the way for safeguarding the future of pangolins um, so you've got someone called Nikki Wright who is part of the African Pangolin Working Group. Um, And then sort of similar to that is the Tiggy Highwood Foundation, which is operating in Zimbabwe. So the idea with that is they are saying they can't just use Asian solutions that have worked in Asia and transfer that to Africa. This is now becoming an African problem with African wildlife and African people. So the idea is coming up with innovative solutions that will work in that part of the world which i thought you you like with conservation you you can't just have a blanket conservation thing that works all around the world yeah you've got to Um, tailor it to to i think more than anything actually even more than tailoring it to the species you have to tailor it to the people involved actually yeah exactly because otherwise people aren't going to change like Mm. you've got the local people there they need alternatives and they need support as well if they're going to miss out from the money they would have got trading pangolins for example Mm. Mm. and then you'll you'll like this road because we've been (laughs) we've been on a a gabon tangent for a while we love gabon we want Um, want to go to gabon and we want to film in gabon (laughs) this will give you an extra reason to go so there is a researcher called dr david lehman who is a pangolin researcher Ooh, in Gabon. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> we should try and find him when we go. 
he's doing some fantastic work. So what they're doing is they're GPS tagging um, individual pangolins so that they can use um, radio telemetry to mm. look for them. And then they're also setting up camera traps. Woo, go camera traps. Um, <laughs> we love camera traps. To actually monitor their behaviours and see where they're going and things like that. So really, really cool research that's happening there in Gabon. Oh, I love um, I love Gabon when it pops up in, in constellations. <laughs> I know, it just makes me want makes me want to go even more. I know. Um and then someone who really, really inspired me. So this is in the document documentary Eye of the Pangolin. Mm-hmm. Um it's someone called Maria Dykeman. And she does basically all the jobs you can think of. In the, she, <laughs> she, she runs this pangolin rescue rehabilitation centre in Namibia. And she's the architect. She's the designer. She's the site manager. She's the one who goes out and love it. Like, she does shouts at all the poachers. Like, she does everything. Um, and this documentary basically follows her journey. She's one of the very few people, like you mentioned, Roby, that they're hard to keep in captivity. She's one of the very few people in the world who has successfully reared and reintroduced pangolins into the wild so her experience is kind of vital moving forwards in this field and what she realized was that if she's going to save her well not her pangolins but she gets very attached to them mm. so if she's going to save the <laughs> it's African... the same thing with my my badges on the, in the woods exactly, they're my badges they're my, I, 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 they're my badges come on <laughs> so i'll call them, i'll call them her pangolins yeah. like if she is going to save her pangolins in africa she realised she needed to understand more about the trade in Asia. Mm. So it follows her as she goes to Bangkok, China, Vietnam to try and get to the heart of, of this trade. And like, you know, I know you said Victoria Beckham, the kind of you thought I was going to say that. Yeah. This this is kind of what she tapped into in terms of celebrity oh, kind of media stuff. So there is this Chinese, one of the biggest Chinese megastars called Angela Baby. I don't think that's her real name, but anyway... Um, I don't think so. <laughs> and so she is a singer, actress, and model. Maybe she doesn't sing. Maybe she's just an actress and a model. Um, but she has 80 million followers on her social media accounts. That's even more than me. That's a, me and you combined. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, she had she saw footage of pangolins and was so kind of moved by the crisis and what was happening with them that she has used her social media mass presence to raise awareness about it. So she's done a number of different campaigns. She's done sort of working with with filmmakers and conservationists, which it's almost like it's this glamorous Chinese megastar, but then was so moved by the plight of the pangolins that she's like, no, people need to know about this. Oh, um, that's fantastic. And I think that's the kind of engagement we really, really need in conservation. No, absolutely. And I think people who have powerful voices like that it's almost not an obligation because people can do whatever they want with their lives but like it they could have a lot of influence over people Mm. and like I was saying at the beginning how people don't really know what's happening and for young people in China this was almost kind of revelationary of like Mm. oh my goodness this stuff that we've been told is going to cure cancer is coming from this endearing little animal that looks like it's going to come up to you and say hello like can i <laughs> have it's, something it's, please it's fantastic she's making that link actually you know linking the animal and the product i mean it, yeah I, I i suppose in the uk i mean how many people it would you know would you link a, a, a lovely calf running around in a field with a burger most people don't but if you can make that link i think real change can happen there and with pangolins it's so important as well because 
recently they've been scapegoated a little I, and actually i don't know how factual this is i haven't actually been keeping on top of this which i, I should be for a zoologist they became involved with with the coronavirus pandemic did they not in malayan pangolins i think yeah yeah that's right so obviously like you said i i do need to read into this a bit more this was um a very recent paper though this came out in march 2020 in nature okay um so this was one where they were looking at it was this illegal shipment of malayan pangolins that was seized i think going through china and what they found so just to distinguish covid19 is the disease which we get in humans and the actual name of the virus is SARS-CoV-2. Um, so what they found was that they found these really, really similar SARS-CoV-2 coronaviruses in these Malayan pangolins. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah. And it really interesting the way they did it was kind of they found really, really s- similar receptor binding kind of domain. So mm-hmm. I think it was, let me just get the numbers right. Yeah. So that these these pangolin coronavirus genomes have between 85.5 and 92.4 similarity to the human SARS-CoV-2. So um, so that's, that's, that seems to indicate a relatedness, but potentially not the original host, yeah. I would imagine. So we're not saying that pangolins are the source of COVID-19. We're saying that they have also got a similar strain of COVID-19 and therefore are probably, you know, I think we'd, prob- we'd probably have to, you know, survey wild populations because it's also possible that this SARS-CoV-2 virus, those pangolins got from humans. Yeah. Or from bats or potentially another another, another reservoir. But again, again, it's just, again, I always come back to this point of we stand to lose more than we know. And in this case, yeah, the, the more we mess with natural ecosystems and the more we exploit natural organisms we really do stand to potentially have some very serious consequences which we don't ever understand at the time yeah no i fully agree and i think covid19 regardless of whether it's is certain whether we know what caused it or not it's almost or well, i'd say 90 percent sure that it originated in a wet market somewhere mm. the species origin still a bit hazy but the idea that if we are taking wild animals from their natural habitats, putting them into contact, close contact with other animals, including ourselves, which they would never encounter in the wild, pandemics are going to become a thing in the mm. future. 2020 is not going to just be a year that, oh dear, this is a bad year, let's get better next year. It's not going to get better if we mm. don't change our interaction with wildlife. And I think the pangolin kind of crisis really, really hits hard with that one. It's like they are so innocent and do nothing to hurt people, but we have we just exploit them, and it's human greed and <laughs> ah. Okay, it really grand again. <laughs> that is probably a good place to wrap up this particular video because we have been going on for quite a while now. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. Again, it's quite a hard hitting one, but there are some really fantastic conservation organisations out there and really quite inspirational people. I'm sure you will you'll agree. Um, who are doing all they can to save the pangolins. If you would like to contribute, you should absolutely do so and get involved. The WWF are doing a lot with pangolins, as are Save Vietnam's Wildlife, which are an excellent charity. Um, You could reach out to the Tiki Highwood Foundation or these individual people like Maria Dykeman and Nikki Wright. 
uh, and see what they're doing and see how you can help as well. So there are some, there is a positive message at the end of this. The pangolins are not doomed yet. <laughs> and with any luck, we might be able to turn the tide. So thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time. See you next time. Bye.